it's almost spooky season. Now, if your friends told you to come and hang out at a place called the Witch's Castle, would you be scared? Welcome to Cryptic Soup. Tonight's case comes right out of a horror movie with how gruesome and horrific it is. Let's say, for instance, I know a couple of people who kill simply for the fear that they see in their victim's eyes and for the sight of the blood on their bodies. My opinion is they do it to feel superior or high on the victim's fear, and they're thirsty for the spill of blood. Hey guys, welcome back to Cryptic Soup. I'm Athena. I like how you say cryptic soup. <laughs> like you like soup. And I'm Kylie. <laughs> soup. Soup. I can't, I can't actually say it how you say it. You're like, cryptic soup? Cryptic soup? Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was normal. Cryptic soup. Soup. (laughs) Okay. Okay. uh, So anyways, how's everyone doing tonight? Cool. Cool. Good to hear. Good to hear. Oh, no way, man. Really? Oh, that sucks. How many? Oh, shit. Okay. Anyways, it's, uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Feels like it's been a while. It hasn't. It it's hasn't. Just, <laughs> it's just been a while since it was just us two, I guess. So that's what it is. Yeah. No Corey this week. How did everyone like the Corey? The Corey. <laughs> was the Corey good? Good addition? Do we like the Corey? <laughs> that makes me think of um, Charlie's Angels where she's like, the, the Chad. Chad. <laughs> that's why I was doing it. Yes. <laughs> the Chad. No, the Chad great. was great. <laughs> she just <laughs> dives into the water. Oh, <sighs> that's such a good movie. Such a good movie. Who is your favorite Charlie's Angel? Mm, I mean, new or old? Old. Old was and Lucy then, Liu. Same. And the new is Kristen Stewart. Badass. Yes. Yes. Always go for the hottest badass bitch. Yep. <laughs> so you can't go wrong. I don't know. Now that I'm older, though, I like Carmen I like and Drew. Diaz. and or What did you I call say? her? Carmen? I used to call her Carmen. Okay. Cameron Diaz. I Cameron, like yeah, I like them. Now that I'm older, like when I was a kid, I was like, no, Lucy Liu is the top the notch. Yeah. yeah. But now that I'm older, I like them both in different ways. Yeah, I just um, it's weird because I've always had this vendetta against Drew Barrymore. What? And- <laughs> have I- oh, why? Have I not told you about my Drew Barrymore vendetta? No. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. She's she's a great actress. And the issue is, is she's in so many things I absolutely love. She is in literally like all my favorite movies almost. Right. Because she's in school scream right yes yeah and she's in like uh ever after she's in i can't like think right now but she's in so many films that i just like iconically love yeah um i just don't like her there's something about her that really rubs me the wrong way and i can't stand her with that being said now that she's an adult and i'm an adult uh, I watched Santa Clarita Diet and I decided I've been wrong my whole life and yes. I actually accidentally love her. Yeah. The Santa Clarita Diet was just like amazing. Mm-hmm. And if like, you haven't watched that, go watch it right now because it's amazing. Her on TikTok, how happy she is, yes. the life she leads. I'm like, damn, I really love her. But I still don't like her character in Charlie's Angels because she's a try hard, I feel like. Especially in the second one when she yeah. only likes the bad guys and stuff. Yeah. So that's all. This has literally absolutely. But you zero have to, to have you have to have someone like that's always gonna like try to hook up with the bad guy though. 
and that's who that is you know but she's just i don't know she's just like annoying as a character i guess i don't know there's something about her i don't like the 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 uh soundtracks are phenomenal so welcome to Movie Madness Podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Props, Drew Barrymore. I like you, I guess, these days. Whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, have you tonight's episode is Shanna Sharer. Have you ever heard of this episode, Kylie? No. It takes place in Indiana. Wow. There you go. There's a little. So this case is about Shanda Shearer. She was a 12 year old girl who was tortured and murdered in southern Indiana by four fellow teens. Due to the brutality of this crime, it attracted news coverage all across America. And Shanda was the victim of a completely senseless crime. So I figured after a super great episode with Corey, let's do the thing that I love to do and make everyone fucking miserable <laughs> just like the the last one yeah jason sweeney yes i should have asked you what his name is fuck no i knew it actually so, oh did you yeah because you looked no um oddly enough all of our friends are asking about that episode and i'm like no, no no it's the jason sweeney episode i'm proud of you maybe i'll remember it no no <laughs> <Doubt> that. <laughs> in two weeks it'll be gone for you yep so I guess we should. Do we have any more business? I don't, I don't think I don't so. Think so um, we're going to soon open up the Facebook. Yeah. And to do that, we're going to have some killer new photos. But there's something I'm really excited for. I'm not going to say who yet. I'm not going to say much about it. But we have a, a lovely little um, doodle coming out in the world a doodle (laughs) (laughs) it's they're taking much longer than a doodle i'm just really excited but i don't want to give much away until i'm like actually able to post it and talk about it and i'm really excited for it yes i agree because we have a really beautiful commission coming out so other than that it's just all death and gore yay like instead of all fun and games get it like do you get the joke it's it's a joke (laughs) (laughs) okay so tonight's episode, Shanna, Shanna Renee Shearer was born in June 6, 1979. I have heard her name pronounced Shonda and Shanda. However, the girls in this case near and not not near and dear, just near to her, say it is Shanda Shearer. And so we're going with that. So you want to know something weird? What's up? I was supposed to be born on June 6th. Well, you know who what you would have been? What? A Gemini. Which is super weird because I think I, I've heard people tell me. Or I can I've, see you as a Gemini, but you're I've, more of an Aries. Right. I've read I've read a lot of different things of when you're a preemie and you're supposed to be a certain sign that sometimes you bring those characteristics also. But, but it, can, I, it can go both ways. I see you more of an Aries, though. You oh, yeah, I, I am. Like 110% Aries. Not that it's believable or real. Mm, It's real assholes. (laughs) Um, Also on June 6th, you would have shared a birthday with Robert England. Name who that is. I have no idea who that is. I knew he's an actor. I figured that. He's in a scary movie movie and he plays the killer. Do you think I've seen any scary movies? No, just guess. You get two guesses. Go. Either you can guess the movie or who he is. Like you mean like a scary like scary movie? <laughs> so he is in multiple scary things, but he's most iconic for one. But he's most recently in a TV show that you've watched that I've watched. Yes, Scream Queens. No, 
I don't know, the most scary thing I've ever watched. Yeah, the thing that he wants, it's not super scary, the thing he's in recently. I don't know, I've been watching Bob's Burgers and Archer. <laughs> okay, so Robert England is Freddy Krueger from the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but oh, okay. he is also the guy that has no eyes in Stranger Things. Oh. Isn't that crazy? Okay. Yeah. So he's also in that new movie, Choose or Die. He has like a voiceover cameo. He's in a lot of other things. Anyways, really famous dude. Whatever. All right. It's also National Drive-In Movie Day. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Love National Drive-In. I like drive-in movies. Love drive-in movies. So Shanda. So Shanda was born in the Pineville Community Hospital of Pineville, Kentucky. Her parents were Stephen Shearer and Jacqueline. Love the name. Her parents divorced not long before Shanda turned 12 years old. Her mother remarried. The family moved to Lowell, Kentucky. Stop it. (laughs) Shanda attended fifth and sixth grade at the St. Paul School. She was on the cheerleading team, volleyball squad. What? Okay. And softball team. So it's cheerleading squad and volleyball team. And I decided you didn't. Yeah, you didn't like you didn't even write them. You just said them. And I still like you still fucked it up. Crossed it up. Okay. Also, it's Louisville. Um, okay, okay I guess if you don't know how to read. Um, eventually, the family moved in June of 1991 to New Albany, Indiana. And while there, Shanda enrolled at Hazelwood Middle School. Shanda met a girl named Amanda Heverin. I've also heard Heverin and Heverin. So I'm going with Heverin because it looks Heverin. It does look like Heverin. So um, early in the fall semester at Hazelwood Junior High, They originally had gotten into a fight and they ended up getting detention. During detention, the two talked it out and they became friends, which soon blossomed into much more. Amanda and Shanda shared a mutual attraction for each other and started spending all their time together. The two girls ended up going to a school dance together in the October of 1991. They ran into another girl there named Melinda Loveless. There's going to be a lot of names in the story. names, though. (laughs) They all sound like clueless names, like very like iconic. Yes. So I will I will repeat everyone's name quite a bit and like their ages kind of just to remind everyone the severity of how insane this case is. So Melinda is Amanda's ex-girlfriend of an almost year long relationship. So Amanda, Melinda and Shanda are all either, you know, gay or bisexual or at least like somewhere in that realm because they are all dealing with female to female relationships back then. So keep that in mind because it's a heavy point in this Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. because this is the very early 90s also. And they're very young. Um, To give you an example, Shanda is 12. So they're very young people. The relationship between Amanda and Melinda had ended only months before Shanda started seeing Amanda. And at this point, Melinda was visibly upset. So she started threatening and confronting Shanda for Shanda starting to be with Amanda. Now, to give a little backstory on who Melinda is, the year before in 1990, Melinda would have been 14 years old and she was dating Amanda. So while this was happening, Melinda's father left her family. Her mother had remarried. Melinda started lashing out, getting in fights, causing issues at school. She was constantly angry or depressed, and she really needed counseling. In March of 1991, Melinda came out as a lesbian to her mother, who was initially furious at the idea, but then later learned to eventually accept it. 
Although, even though this happened like after this, Melinda and Amanda's relationship, it spiraled downward. It didn't get better once Melinda came out, which is kind of why she thought it would help. But they never officially ended. They kind of just, you know, like they, they drifted apart, as you would think. Well, they're so young. like That too. What? You don't have a class together anymore. OK, you're breaking right. up. Right. Yeah. But that's part of the reason why Melinda was really upset to see Amanda with someone else at the dance is because, you know, they weren't officially done. And the fact that Amanda went to the school dance with the new girl in school, like that's just kind of shitty. She thinks. A little, bit, a little bit rude. Yeah. So Amanda and Shanda tried not to let the event that happened at the dance get to them, like the whole like uh, confrontation with Melinda. And so they then attended a festival together in late October, kind of like a like a Halloween fest type thing, just like a simple small town thing. Mm -hmm. Around the same time, there was talk in the town about how Melinda had been making threats and discussing with multiple people like around school in town how she wanted to kill Shanda. And like threaten her and like attack her. Straight up just threatening. 14 year old, right? Yeah. The yeah. 14 year old threatening the 12 year old about how she wants to kill her. Okay. Shanda's parents at some point started hearing some of these rumors and they got really concerned for Shanda's well, like not just her well-being, like if they actually came true, but also just the mental toll it would be taking on their daughter. Because she's 12. And she's getting bullied severely to the point where this person's talking about killing her. Right. So Shanna ended up transferring schools and her parents said it was to help try to get away from the rumors and kind of start fresh. Um, so Shanna ended up transferring schools again in November. That's when she ended up at Our Lady of Perpetual Help School. Wow. That's just as bad of a name as that name. One of our previous episodes. That, yeah. It is a Catholic school in New Albany where she joined the girls basketball team. And supposedly, like, if you're looking at this from the parents point of view, the theory was like, if the girls are in different schools, the bullying will stop because there's distance between them. But right. that's not how teenage girls work. So, of course, the bullying did not stop. They're still living in the same town, everything else. So for the next few weeks, Melinda openly would talk to friends and everyone about how she's going to threaten or how she's going to kill Shanda. Amanda starts to get really worried because she's hearing Melinda talk about this. You know, Amanda's still at the same school with Melinda. And Amanda's really worried. So she tells her parents and she also tells a youth prosecutor. And she showed them notes that Melinda had wrote with visible threats in the notes. Now, you would think that that would be a really good step because this is a better step than most cases have. Like the kid is actually going to someone with authority here. Right. But instead of helping, the prosecutor said that they should just, you know, have the parents talk it out. And he dismissed the whole situation. He's like, you know, kids being kids. Amanda ended up telling her dad about it because she's like, no, I went to the prosecutor. The prosecutor said, tell my parents. So Amanda's dad went and talked to Melinda's mom and it was dismissed. She was like, you know, it's kids being kids. So this is absolutely going nowhere at this point. Not my perfect Melinda. <laughs> My perfect Melinda that's causing school fights, needing counseling, having all these issues. No. No, not no. her. She's a baby. She's a baby. She's a baby. So on January 10th, 1992, there are these three girls that are hanging out. Their names are Hope Rippy, who is 15, Lori Tackett, who is 17, and Tony Lawrence, who is 15. Now, Lori's driving her car because Lori's Lori's a year older kind of like two years older at this point because she had just turned 17. 
she got held back a year, I want to say is why I can't fully remember. She had just gotten her permit license, whatever. And so she's driving the friends around Hope and Tony. And she tells them they're going to go hang out with their friend, Amanda. Now, Amanda's only 13. Okay. Okay. So Hope and Tony jump in the back of the car and the three girls ended up going to Melinda's house instead, who's 16. So let's real quick do a time jump or like time remembrance here. So in the car, we have Hope, 15, Tony, 15. They are going to be the two that are in the back seat. I'm going to eventually like I'll call it the back seat of, of the crimes. OK, they're the back seat of the crime. OK, then we have the passenger seat of the crime, like a really big help. OK, which is Lori Tackett, 17. Then we're going to have Melinda, pretty much the driver's seat of the crime. She's 16. We have the quote unquote innocent bystander, Amanda, who's 13. And then the victim, Shanda, who is 12. Okay, that's not where they're actually at in the car. That's the positions I'm giving them on how severe their crime parts are. Kind of. It'll it'll make more sense the further I go. But just to give some disclaimer. So Lori and Shanda have quite a big age gap. Five years, 12 Mm -hmm. and 17. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be hanging out with a 12 year old if I was 17. No, I would barely even want to be hanging out with the 13 year old. Yeah, the 15 year olds, maybe if they're cool enough or, you know, like if depending on what we're doing, I guess. And I mean, Melinda's only 16. Melinda wants to hang out with the 15 year old. So 15, 16, 17, not as weird. Right. But also if Melinda was 16 and Amanda was 13 and they were dating. Are they weird? Are they really in the same school back then? Wouldn't one have been in the high school and one in the middle school? Probably. They said that they were in school together, but then I that doesn't 16 make sense. is like a sophomore. sophomore junior, depending on when you started school and 13 could be freshman. I don't know. It's, well, she said she's in the middle school, though, because she's in the middle oh, school yeah, yeah, yeah. with Shanda. So was the dance a middle school, high school dance? Yeah, I'm confused. I need I'm answers. Just, and I mean, I get it. Are they all in- integrated? Yeah, I was going to say Indiana's kind of a mess. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they just did that, too. I also like I had friends where their little sibling would come to the dance with them and they were in eighth grade. We were in ninth grade. Yeah. So it's not unheard of, but it's all these ages don't sound big deal. But when you start thinking about what this crime is and everything else, like these are kind of big, big age gaps. Yeah. So what happens? Hope and Tony jump in the backseat of the car. Lori Tackett is driving. The three girls go to Melinda's house. And this is the first time that Hope and Tony are meeting Melinda ever. This night is when they meet Melinda. They were not previous friends. Hope and Tony are friends. Hope and Tony are friends with Lori. Lori's friends with Melinda. But Hope and Melinda, Tony and Melinda are not friends. I know it's confusing. Just stick with me, guys. So when they got to Melinda's house, they all were like borrowing clothes, you know, being girly. They're like, Melinda, can we borrow your clothes? Like, let's hang out. Be girls. Okay. Melinda then came in and told them of the evening plans. She said, you know, they're going to go play a prank on someone. Kylie, what do we know about pranks? Usually don't end well. They're never pranks. They're never. They're they're not a prank. So Melinda came in the room with a knife. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Pranks with knives always end well. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) So she came into the room with a knife. She told them they're going to go play a prank on Shanda, who's 12, to scare her. The 16-year-old girl walks in and said that. They're going to scare her because of what 
Shanda's doing. So Lori knew of this plan. And it's more that Melinda is telling Tony and Hope for the first time as she's meeting them. Hey, hi, nice to meet you. We're going to take this knife and go scare a 12 year old little girl. Oh, why you wonder? Because I hate her because she's a copycat and stole my girlfriend. That's what she told them. So young. Okay. It's weird to think that people, the the thought process here, I just, right. you're so young. I don't think even my thought process ever would have been murder if someone stole the person I was with at that age. No. And like, and like, oh, I'm going to dump a chocolate milk on them tomorrow at lunch so that they yes. smell so bad by fourth period. Like, what the hell, man? Oh, they're going to smell like rotten milk. Like that, I don't know. I wasn't very creative, I guess. I guess. <laughs> So then Hope asked if she could drive Lori's car and Lori, you know, not caring, was like, yeah, OK, cool. So Hope drove Lori's car over to Jeffersonville. And that is where Shanda's father lives because she was staying with him on the weekends. And the witch's castle, which is what we're going to talk about, is about 15 minutes from here. I'll, I'll keep giving descriptions, too. This case gets really muddy. And so I'm trying to describe everything as easy as I can so that it just kind of flows. But it it's muddy. so. So while going to Shanda's house, the girls got lost and they have to stop and ask McDonald's restaurant for directions because this is 1991. There's no MapQuest. There's no cell phones. There's no GPS. There's no car telling you where to go. The good old days. You got to write that shit down when you asked your parents or that kid in study hall told you the directions to the party. And then you're hoping that you don't get lost because otherwise you got to backtrack all the way. You're like writing it on your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Hoping for the best. I remember MapQuest days. Those were the worst. Like printing them out. So weird, though. We, we live in such a weird era where we literally grew up with all of this technology and it's and so it, like, advanced now. And like it, it like came out with us at this yeah, age. Like, like we progressed yeah. with the technology. Because it's so funny. I remember being like, Mom, do we have printer ink? I need a map. I need to print the MapQuest directions. I'm going. I remember one of the times I had to go to my eye doctor. And like I was in high school still or like yeah. not, not high school. I was in middle school, but I was going to have my someone else take me. Well, even like yeah. when high when we were in high school, it wasn't on our phones yet. It was like the Tom Tom. Yeah. And so I was just like, OK, like I have to get these directions. And I remember that I, I like missed one of the turns and we had to restart from the beginning because we couldn't figure out where we were. Like, we were so lost. Can't figure this out. Where was step five? Oh, <laughs> it was just, okay. I missed that one. And it would tell you exact amounts like go for 3.1 miles. Yes. <laughs> like it was so. Well, and that is a very good point. Dwayne. Make a right turn. No, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No, Up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's Stop not yelling. There's no lake here. It has Sorry, to. if you guys don't know this, I call anything that is techno technologically giving me directions, not Siri. I call it Claudia. So... When, I mean, Claudia tells you all of those things, like, you know, in 3.1 miles, yeah. you'll turn left, but you just don't like think about it. But you when you're reading it, you're like, wait, it. it's been about three minutes. I'm trying to find, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, and you would look at the little this, drawing. This road has to be you. here somewhere. <laughs> MapQuest was a wild time. I, I would have to use it to go to metal shows and stuff. Yeah. I, I would back in like high school. Yeah. My friend Chris and I, we had, we had print out our MapQuest directions and we're like, all right, we're going to go to a metal show. 
That's so scary. And then you'd have to reverse it on the way back if you oh didn't. Oh my god! And you would forget to if print you it. didn't yeah. print it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it was like, a crap. Yeah, right means left, and yeah. Yep. Ah, good times. Well, they did not have even the map quest times. Right. They had the you get it from your parents and hope they know the way correctly, and you get right. really bad landmarkers. Right. Especially in the dark. Or you get a an, a map from like a gas a physical station. map. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> So when they finally arrived at Shanda's house, it was starting to get dark out, but it wasn't super late yet. Melinda had told Hope and Tony to go to the door and introduce themselves as friends of Amanda, asking if Shanda wants to go hang out at the witch's castle to see her. When they go and do this, Melinda's uh, sorry, not Melinda. I'm sorry. When they go up to the door, Melinda's in the car. So Shanda does not know Melinda is there. Hope and Tony go to the door and they ask Shanda. Shanda says she can't go because her parents still awake, like her dad's awake. But to come back around midnight a few hours later and she'll sneak out so that she can go hang out with Amanda. Because you also have to remember now Shanda's going to this other school. She probably doesn't get to see Amanda as much. And there's no cell phones. No. So she's extremely excited. And, you know, it's her father's weekend. So probably she doesn't see Amanda on her father's weekend anyway. So she's like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. Yeah. And I, I got to add this little side part. She's getting to hang out outside of the house, outside of parental vision with her girlfriend. It's like, ooh, you know, what could happen? We yes. might, I might reach second base. You right. never know, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So Shanda agrees to sneak out once her dad's asleep. The teens all agree they're going to go to the witch's castle. Now, for I'm sure most of you don't know what the witch's castle is. So the witch's castle is located in a town called Utica. It's a haunted shamble of a building and it has this like spooky legend about it right supposedly three witches lived in a small castle and founded the town but the townsfolk feared the witches so they were killed due to this fear however there's no city records of anyone ever living there and two two murders and a suicide have taken place at the castle over these years nowadays kids just use it to smoke weed and hang out it's literally a castle though or is it just a no home? okay it's, it's it's not a castle okay. it's just called the witch's castle okay Okay, so they later go to pick up Shanda, right? But before they do that, they like need to figure out what they're going to do with their time. So the four girls attend a show. They go to a small concert at Audubon Skate Park. And supposedly during this show, later accounts say that Hope and Tony left early and they went back to Lori's car with two boys and they engaged in sexual activities and they weren't like hanging out with Melinda and Lori. Okay. It doesn't really add or take away from the story other than the fact that Hope and Tony continue to kind of ditch Lori and Melinda here and there. But so after the show ended, the girls head back towards Shanda's house. Melinda had made comments in the car about how badly she wanted to kill Shanda. But then when, you know, people started getting worried, she would make comments about how that's not that's not the the deal, though. Tonight is about intimidating Shanda. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. It's all a prank, remember? Right, right, right. Prank with knives. Prank with knives. So Hope told Shanda that Amanda was at the witch's castle still, even though, like, it was way later at night, remember? Because now it's been right. multiple hours. It's midnight. But she's like, no, she's still there. So Shanda was kind of nervous, but she was really excited to see Amanda, so she agreed to join them. Now, in the car at this point, we have Hope driving the car. Tony's in the car and Lori's in the car. Shanda gets in the back seat. And also in the backseat, there's this blanket pile. And under that blanket is Melinda, 16 years old, with Shanda, 12 years old, next to her, hiding with a knife that she, you know, brought from home. Right. Hope begins questioning Shanda about her relationship with Amanda for a few minutes. And 
Out of nowhere in the middle of the questioning, Melinda jumped out from hiding in the back seat with the knife and began threatening Shanda, just like the, the prank. The prank. Right. Melinda started threatening Shanda using, like, trying to force her into saying that Shanda stole Amanda away from Melinda. And she was interrogating her about her sexual relation that she has with Amanda's. I said both that weird. Yeah, you did. Relations with Amanda. There you go. I pluralized the wrong thing. Once the car was full, the girls, like, all piled into it and stuff. And the, you know, prank is in the middle of happening. They get to the Witchless Castle. Once they get there, they drag Shanda inside the building and like out of the car. Shanda was crying. They start tying her up with ropes on her arms and legs. The girls were picking off Shanda's possessions and toying with her. They were like removing her rings. They were trying them on. At one point, one of the girls stole Shanda's Mickey Mouse watch and was dancing around to the song that it made and like making a mockery of it. Because again, she's. 12 she's young right they are 15 16 and 17 right okay so the girls were taunting shanda and threatening her telling her that she's going to be the next person to die at the witch's castle which is scary for a 12 year old terrifying it's very um the slender man murders it's very like that vibes where it's just they're children right they are literal children right i what I don't was, understand. What was I doing at 12 years old? I was still probably chewing on my fashion poly's clothes. 12. I was in middle school. Yeah. I it's think like sixth grade, isn't it? 12? I think that's seventh grade. I was just really excited to watch a walk to remember and cry to myself because I was like, that'll be my life when I grow watch up. Watch a walk to love. remember? Isn't that what I said? You said watch to watch. remember. Watch a watch to remember. <laughs> My bad. I was just like excited to do that and like listen to that new band Fallout Boy and stuff. Like oh I was not God. like murder. I was in fifth. I was in fifth grade when I was 12. How were you in fifth grade at 12? Because I was 14 in seventh grade. What is wrong with you? Why were you old? How old were you when you graduated? 19. What? Jesus. Because okay. well, I went to a private school and then when I came to public school, I didn't know what to expect if they were going to be like on the same level. So I redid fourth grade. Okay. Weird. Okay. I shouldn't have done that. No. I don't know why I did it because I was fine, but <laughs> I was case. I was nervous because I thought going from public from private to public was like a really big deal. Well, I I wasn't sure what to expect. Not at all the same, but I mean, I transferred from a sc- small school to a, in my mind, big school. It yeah. was not big. Normal it was size. Just larger. Yeah, it was just like a normal size high school. Yeah. But compared to the school I was going to, I did that. And I thought that was a huge change. But I didn't even also realize I went from like a super huge middle school to a small high school. Mm-hmm. Because the middle school I went to was three grades. The high school I went to was four grades. The middle school was twice as large as the high school. So like. That's weird. Yeah. I did not realize because they were different cities, I Mm -hmm. should say. But I didn't realize that change was so drastic until I did it. So I'm sure. And that's not near as different as private to public. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. So I was still in fifth grade and I can only remember this one guy that I was dating and I broke up with him by um, cutting the bracelet that he gave me and giving it back to him in an envelope 
And then I got counseling for two weeks from the count from the counselor person. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, this is really mean. I'm like, well, I didn't know how else to like uh, have him understand that I was done. Like, yeah, can't just break up face to face. What are you, an adult? Mm, right. No, can't <laughs> do that. Well, yeah, I don't think murder would have been on my list of no. things to even consider at 12. No, like Crash Bandicoot and or 15 or 17 even. Yeah. Wherever, actually. Gaming and yeah, bicycling outside with my neighborhood friends is all on my mind. I think I was excited that like there was an, a Final Fantasy like 11 being announced or something. I was like, or no, like Final Fantasy 10-2 was being announced. And I was like, oh my God. I was playing Sims. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sims and Crash Bandicoot. So <laughs> going back to the case, these girls obviously were afraid they were going to get caught at the castle because Shanda was being loud. She was crying. She was screaming. She was upset. Go figure. So, yeah, you know, being tortured. Um, Well, I guess she's not being tortured at this point because it's just a prank. You know, they're just, you know, stealing her stuff and bullying her. Right. Mm -hmm. So they put Shanda back in the car and they leave while attempting to return home. They got lost. They got lost twice, actually. And both times they stopped at gas stations and got directions. The whole time this is happening, Shanda is just begging and crying to go home. But instead of taking her to their home, they went to the edge of some woods near Lori's home in Madison, Indiana. Now, Lori, at this point, led them to a dark abandoned building off of a logging road inside the woods near her home. Hope and Tony said they were really scared, so they waited inside the car. Um, Lori and Melinda take Shanda and they grab her they take her to the forest they strip her down to her underwear they start torturing her and beating her melinda beat shanda first with her fists then repeatedly was slamming her face into her knees so she was taking shanda the 12 year old and slamming her face into her 16 year old kneecap like you know just slamming her Mm -hmm. shanda had braces on and when melinda was doing this she was hitting her so hard and so many times in the face repeatedly She was bleeding all over from the cuts on her mouth and it knocked out two of her teeth that were just stuck in her braces then dislodged from her gums. Jesus. Now, next, Melinda attempted to cut Shanda's throat with the knife, the prank knife. That's not, you know, not a real thing. Right. But the knife was too dull. So Shanda was thrashing around in pain as it was like just like gutting into her neck and in random spots. Hmm. The girls then made Hope come down to the wooded area to help hold Shanda down. And remember, Hope is meeting this girl for the first time. And she's like, "Okay, I'll come hold this little 12 year old girl so that you can, you know, kill her and attack her after she's already screaming, crying. Her teeth are knocked out. They said that, though, so that she could kill her. I don't I don't know what they said, but what else would you have said to get her to come down from the car and then her see that and not help hold her down to like play the prank on her? She would have walked down there and seen what the scene was. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Okay. You have choices in this world. (laughs) Yes. So they then had uh, Hope come and hold her down. And Lori and Melinda took turns stabbing Shanda in the stomach and chest, cutting up her arms and legs, all with this dull knife. They followed this by strangling Shanda with some of the rope that was originally used to tie her up. And she became unconscious. So they assumed Shanda was dead. So they placed her in the trunk of the car. 
said she was dead and that they needed to leave. Because at this point, they had been beating her for over seven hours. My goodness. She's, Wait, she, so it's like 7 a.m.? Yes, it is. It is like early. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the girls celebrate because they went back to Lori's house and they started cleaning up and they were just, you know, drinking their sodas, hanging out, cleaning up. But then they realized they could hear something outside. And when it dawned on them what it was, it was Shanda screaming from the trunk of Lori's car. She was not dead. She had woken up and she was in pain. Obviously. So Lori went outside with a paring knife and started just stabbing her randomly a few more times and threatening her. Lori did this. Not even Melinda, the ringleader. Lori was the new person that wasn't even there originally before, right? Lori, no, Lori is the passenger seat, like okay, the one okay, that was okay. close okay. friends with Melinda. She's the 17-year-old, the older one. I'm thinking of Tony. You're thinking of Hope. Tony was the one that was in the car the whole time, didn't help. Hope is right. the one they brought down to help hold her. No, I thought that Lori was Tony. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah. So then when Lori came back inside, she's covered in blood and everyone's just cool with it, right? Okay. So, um, I'm so sorry. You were right. I did make an error earlier and I meant to correct myself. This whole beating events takes place over seven hours. At this point, it had only taken two hours. I'm sorry. Oh, at this point, it's 2.30 a.m. Okay. This whole event takes seven hours. I meant to clarify and I forgot to. And I'm glad you asked so that I could. Okay. So. Lori washes up and the girls play board games to like 2.30 a.m. So they play another like 20, 30 minutes. And then the girls decide they're going to split up. Because Tony and Hope stay back while Lori and Melinda say they're going to go for a cruise. Right. Like a a cruise. Essentially, they say they're going to deal deal with Shanda Mm -hmm. because she's, you know, screaming in the car. Right. So the two girls, Tony and Hope, stay back. The other two girls, Lori and Melinda, get in the car and they drive to Canaan. Is I think how it's pronounced. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. Canaan. It's a nearby town that's about 20 minutes away from Madison. So Shanda's still in the cr- in the trunk crying and screaming. And at this point, she's making gurgling noises and screaming out for help because she's choking on blood and stuff. Mm-hmm. When they finally stop somewhere, Lori opens up the trunk to find the bloody beaten Shanda. And she then starts to beat her with a tire iron until she goes silent. Jesus. Then there are different reports of what happened next. Some say that Lori was beating her repeatedly until she could feel Shanda's head caving in. Other times the story said that the two girls raped, sodomized, and beat Shanda with the tire tire iron. But it doesn't say for how long, but it says it was off and on for hours while driving around. This girl is 12 years old. Yeah. And they are sodomizing her with a tire iron after beating her senseless for hours. For nothing. For nothing. When the sun started to come up, the two girls returned to the house to clean up again. So they put Shanda back in the trunk, thinking potentially she's dead. And there, Lori tells Hope and Tony about how they tortured Shanda for the past few hours. While sitting around and telling the stories, the girls were giggling and being loud and it woke Lori's mother up and she got pissed. So she came upstairs. She yelled at the girls because they weren't even supposed to be having friends over anyways. And, you know, like she she didn't know they were all going to be there. And remember, Hope and Tony are meeting Melinda for the first time. So probably she didn't tell like, who the hell are all staying. these people in my home? Yeah. Right. So Lori instead was like, oh, I'm sorry, mom. I will take my friends home. 
So she agrees to take the friends home. But instead of doing that, they actually go and do something else. They decide they're going to finish the job with Shanda. So the girls open the trunk to further start taunting Shanda because they started spraying her with Windex on her wounds. My goodness. Because remember, they stabbed her all over and were like slashing at her arms right. and legs. So she's covered in wounds. And I am I have no doubt. I assume they probably like sprayed her face and eyes and right. everything else. Yeah. Too. And I'm sure her eyes are in pain anyways from crying for all these hours. Her throat hurts. Her throat hurts from just breathing and being alive. Like, right. Okay. So the girls then drove to a gas station, probably to, you know, ask for directions knowing them. Right. But it was near Madison Consolidate High School. They pumped some gas in the car and then they bought a two liter of Pepsi. They went outside. They poured the Pepsi out and refilled the bottle with gasoline all sneakily. They then drove north of Madison past Jefferson Proving Grounds to an area off of Lemon Road. Tony this time remained in the car while Lori and Hope wrapped Shanda in a blanket from the car and carried her to a field. At this point, Lori made Hope pour gasoline on Shanda. She said it's so that she could prove she was an accomplice if needed. So Shanda is getting Hope pouring gasoline all over all of her wounds, too, at this point. Right. And then they set her on fire while still alive, screaming and crying in pain. Shanda was crying, whimpering and begging for her mommy to make it stop. Twelve years old again. I know I've said it so many times, but I really just. This case hurts. Yeah. First time I ever heard this case, I cried. Yeah, this is rough. After lighting her on fire, they drive away. But then Melinda remembers how she thought Shanda was dead multiple times, like the first time in the night, and they were wrong. So instead, they go back again, pour more gasoline on her and ignite her on fire again. When this was all said and done, Shanda was murdered and the girls went out for breakfast to McDonald's. They got there about 930 a.m. So that's why I said it took seven hours. All Mm -hmm. this was seven hours Mm -hmm. that this girl lived through. She was fighting to stay alive at this point. Right. And they go out and they get some sausage sandwiches and they start at the table making jokes about how the sausage looks like Shanna's burnt body. If I saw that (laughs) when I was that age, I would have been freaking the fuck out. I, I. I, I, there's no words. There's no, no words for this case. Really. No. So then the girls pretended that life was normal. Tony said she called a friend to tell her about what her and her friends did. Just casually telling her. <laughs> Meanwhile, by the way, these girls are the worst. They had no pact about like keeping this quiet. Like none. Okay. Just none. Well, it's cool to murder people. Right. So that same day, Melinda went to go hang out with Amanda and she told her everything they did. She proceeded to show her the bloody trunk of the car and the bloody clothes from the incident. Then Melinda went and told a different friend about what happened and showed her the trunk, too. Then Melinda asked Amanda, hey, like, can you please not tell anyone about this? Like, can we just can we just keep it a secret? You brutally raped, tortured and murdered my girlfriend. But can you keep it? A secret? But can you keep it? Like, we can get back together. I did it for you. I did it for you. Okay. I did it for you, Amanda. (laughs) So later that morning of January 11th in 1992. So it's also fucking cold. Yeah. It's January in Southern Indiana. It's snowy, y'all. Oh, yeah, it's snowy. (laughs) There's there's at least at least mid shin level snow on this ground. God damn it. 
So late in the morning of January 11th, like we said, 1992. Oh my gosh, I had just been born. But yeah, I was going to say that earlier. <laughs> but that's like literally just born five days before this. Right. Um, two brothers from Canaan were out driving towards where they were going to go hunting later that day. They were kind of, they, they told the cops pretty much they were like perusing the area to make sure it was a good place. Right. Mm-hmm. But they said they noticed. Oh, what did they notice, Kylie? Hmm. They noticed a body on the side of the road. But would it be a body? A mannequin? They thought it was a mannequin. Oh my God. Of course they did. So they said they initially thought they saw a mannequin dumped on the side of the road. And the... Can you tell me anytime? <laughs> you know what's going to happen. When you would have a man... I know. One day we're going to find a fucking mannequin on the side of the road. And I'm going to call a police officer and be like, it's a dead body. And he's going to be like, ma'am, that's a mannequin. Why would you assume that's a dead body? And I'm going to be like... Because it's never a mannequin. Sir, have you never listened to a single true crime podcast? What do you mean? Here, I can name 30 for you. Which one, which episode would you like me to name even? All of them are going to say this. I'm just going to start telling them. I'll be like, okay, so you need to listen to Killer Queens, true crime guys. Okay, there's this one I really like called Creme de la Crime. Okay, listen to Crime Bait. I'm just going to start naming all you guys. All of you. I'll start, I'll start plugging your guys' links. No worries. So they said that they thought they saw a mannequin on the side of the road. Then the two men got out of the vehicle to inspect it, and they realized it was a burned body of what appeared to be a young girl. I will say maybe this one looked a little bit more like a mannequin because her clothes were off and her body's burnt. And she was burnt twice. Potentially, she was very charred, ashy, sooty. So she maybe was very dark, like maybe even like a blackish gray toned in appearance. Yeah. I can see that. And naked. So this is the first time I will maybe agree that something could have looked like a mannequin. Possibly, but it's never a mannequin. It's never a mannequin. (laughs) Call the cops on every mannequin you ever see. So they called the police then. And at 1055 a.m., they returned over to the corpse to wait with it till the police came. Right. So state trooper David Cam and Jefferson County Sheriff Shipley, some fellow detectives and authorities began they they got there. They began an investigation instantly because they could tell it was a dead body. They started collecting forensic evidence at the scene. And the cops noticed that Shanda's body was posed in a suggestively explicit uh, sexual manner. Nonetheless, on top of everything else to do to mm-hmm. a young 13 year old girl. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this was a really rural area and they were not used to such violent crimes. Madison's not a huge place. Um, it's. It's pretty chill. There's some wild parties on the weekends, but that's about all you're no getting. No one's from going Madison. out burning, burning, burning people alive. Smaller people. Especially when the worst they get is having to bust kids all the way out at the, the witch's castle, which is like, like for drugs you know, and alcohol. Like, like, oh, yeah, yeah. For that. They're not expecting a dead body. Right. Okay. Um, I one time got busted at a party in Madison, Indiana, though. So fuck that place. <laughs> I got I almost got arrested. (laughs) I was not drinking. I was just underage at a party. Right. Fuck me. (laughs) So anyways, uh, the police were assuming this had to be like a drug deal or something almost like it had to be something bigger than what they could have like initially thought because they're like, again, small rural town. This has to be like some big conspiracy almost. That's the only or she's not from explanation. Yeah, she's not actually from here. Yeah. So Shanda's parents had not reported her missing yet when the hunters had found the body because they they didn't know really that she was missing. 
Right. Um, because Stephen, Shanna's father, didn't even know when she had left because remember, she snuck out. So later on the day of the 11th, he kind of got worried. And so he called his ex-wife at 145 and he asked if she had heard or seen from Shanda because he thought maybe somehow like she did see friends. She did go out. Maybe she went home mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe she just didn't tell him or something. So he was he was he wasn't expecting that Shanda would be. Kidnapped or dead, like what I will say. Again, the parents weren't taking the threats very seriously because they really thought that no one could be capable of doing this. It's not that they didn't believe until now. Yeah, I wouldn't think that either. It's not that they didn't believe these kids. Like, it's more that they didn't think that Melinda would have the audacity or even the willpower to actually be this cruel of a human. Yeah. So it's not it's not the parents fault. I would like to say that, even though I kind of almost like made a slight implication sound there. I didn't mean to. So. He calls over to to her mom and he asks, she says no. So they think it's kind of fishy. They want to file a missing persons report. So they meet up and file this missing persons report at the Clark County Sheriff's Office. Now, that's a different county than what Mm -hmm. I had talked about that's dealing with this, right? Right. So at 8.20 p.m. that night, nothing still had came out. But Tony and Hope, Tony and Hope, they broke down and told their parents the truth. No one, I said no one can keep their mouth shut. I literally meant it. So they tell their parents and they were taken to the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office with their parents. They both gave super rambling statements that were just like all over the place. But in the end, they figured out that the victim would be Shanda. And they named that the other two girls would have been Melinda and Lori. They then started describing the main events of the previous night and they were just telling Everything they could imagine. This led Sheriff Shipley to starting to contact the other local county offices to try to match up if the story could be true and the missing persons report. Because at this point, you know, we don't have the Internet. (laughs) Well, and you don't have any actual evidence that any of this has happened. No, it just sounds like two young girls going crazy. Maybe they watched, you know, a scary movie. What came out in 1991. I mean, that wasn't long after Freddy Krueger movies and stuff like that. Like, Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that was back during slasher film craze. Yeah. I mean, the late, great 1996 Scream had not came out yet. Real jelly gory. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, he's probably like, oh, my God, these girls stayed up late watching slumber camp horror movies. And now I'm having to deal with the consequences of it. Jesus Christ. Right. So he has to, you know, use the good old fashioned telephone back then to do a thing that we call making phone calls. Well, what? Yeah, I know. Calling phone calling like and they have to like answer or you have to leave a voicemail on like this thing that you have to press rewind on a tape. Oh, terrible. Oh, my God. Answering machine. (sighs) Good days. I thought if I called it an answering machine, no one would know what it is. So I called it a taped out voicemail so that people like thought I was hip. Am I hip? like a voice well we were we were alive for both of those for the tape voicemail <laughs> and the electronic voicemail. oh i remember when we got a, a cordless phone that had that and you could like play it and walk away and stuff with the phone wow, wow. Yeah. yeah that's insane <laughs> my mom she had uh the cordless phone would be in the basement so that she always had first dibs because her room was in the basement and then all the other phones in the house had cords so that if we were on the phone too long she'd know exactly where you are and she can just boop press that little button or if you're on the internet, she'll find you because, you know, oh beep, beep, uh-huh. the, the noise. <laughs> she'll find you. <ya. laughs> 
So um, I like the small breaks we get about teaching people about the 90s. How here. old we are, right? I was going to say, <laughs> even though our target audience is pretty much people the same age as us, yeah. they know they're like, oh, good moments. You're letting me live my youth again. Right. <laughs> now, at this point, everyone's kind of trying to trying to figure out what is happening. And they find out they have a match. A girl named Shanda Shearer is missing and uh, they found a body. The body is Shanda. The stories match up. Everything's happening. So the detectives obtain dental records and it positively identifies the corpse that is burned as Shanda. I would love to be a fly on the wall when that conversation happened and be like, oh, shit, what does actually happen? <laughs> I know, right? He has to be like, oh, my God. And Literally. then unless he has to realize he has to go find the other two girls, the ringleaders. Right. Jesus. Who are like. It's funny because you always say like young people, like, what are you, 12? But like, literally, literally, they're just they're, so they're babies. Yeah. On January 12th, the girls were arrested and a big part of the arrest warrant was thanks to the statements from Hope and Tony because it gave enough evidence. So for several months, the prosecutors and defense attorneys didn't want to release information about the case because they were going to try to try the girls as adults. As they fucking should. Oh my god, you got so loud and I'm sorry, <laughs> but me. Jesus, like, come on. Yeah. But they wanted it to be a fair trial with as little outsider input as possible. So they were trying to, you know, keep it on the hush. Well, we had this discussion with the last case with the with kids murdering kids, and it's just like some people are born evil. Yeah. I mean, there's this case called Seth Jackson case. This kid, Seth, gets murdered and it's by also high schoolers over like a love interest and stuff. And for that case in the evidence, it's all Facebook messages, posts, everything back and forth. And so even when they tried to keep a hush lid on it, it's harder these days because of social media because that was a more recent case. And so I'm sure back then when they say they want to keep a hush lid on it, it's more just like parents don't talk. Other school children don't talk. Like everyone yeah. shut the fuck up. But you already know these people don't shut the fuck up. No. Hope and Tony were like, let me scream it from the rooftops. Right. Well, so is Melinda and everyone. And they don't even know that Amanda knows at this point. Like right. and the random friends that know. So also, side note, imagine being Lori's mom and being like, when I found them, they had just got done doing what? They had cleaned up in my house. There was a dead girl in my, like, in, in my driveway. driveway. Yeah. There was a torture girl in my driveway. I could have hurt her. I could have saved her. Yeah, I would have felt Imagine. really bad. Imagine. No. Now, first, uh, as this was happening, the girls eventually were all tried using plea de- deals to avoid the death penalty because they all pleaded guilty. And because of the help of them, like, giving facts and evidence forward. Well, at least they're not, like... No, I'm innocent. No, no. They did all say that they were guilty. But just wait, you're going to hate them even more. I'm not. Mm. Oh, I I got more to truly make you hate these these children. Lovely. In court, the backstories of these girls were brought into light to try to use as mitigating factors. In court, they discussed how all four girls had came from troubled backgrounds with claims of physical or sexual abuse committed by parents or other adults and how that really played a role on who they are and their upbringing. So I'm going to going to dive into the four girls for just just a, a minute. We're not going to get super deep, but let's talk. We'll start with Melinda Loveless. And oh, Loveless is she. Ah, that's such a good joke. I should have used for the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Damn it. it. 
Melinda had her someone today asked me if we were sisters. I forgot to tell you that because in the last <laughs> so few, random. I'm sorry, because we both just said damn it again at the same time. The past few episodes, we've said something or done something that's very similar time. at the same time, things like that. And someone was kind of binge listening to us today and they had listened to a few episodes and they go, I love that you guys are roommates and sisters, blah, blah, blah. And you guys have a podcast together. And I was like, thank you. I love that, too. But we are not. We are not. Sisters. We are not sisters. Actually, we're very, very different not. people. <laughs> we're very not sisters. Um, Kylie's essentially kind of like an only child. I'm kind yeah. of like and I have half siblings. Yeah. But we are definitely not siblings. But thank you. Yeah, thanks. But that's oh, cool. We're just like getting on the same wavelength. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, we've been doing this for 51 episodes now. It's almost a year. It's insane. It's kind of like we just know what's the worst thing. And we're just like, OK, we're over it at this point. We got to scream. God damn it. Right. Like, <laughs> like, you know, oh, I can't. So sorry about that. I just had to had to point that out. It reminded me Melinda and her mother, Marjorie, told stories about her father, Larry, who was a sexual deviant who would wear Marjorie and Melinda's and her siblings underwear and makeup. Okay. Cause Marjorie has other daughters. So they talk about how Larry does all this. Okay. Okay. They also talk about how Melinda's family was often visited by family members that were always asked if they were feeding the children due to how malnutritioned they look. Melinda's mother often tried committing suicide and her kids knew about it. And I mean, like they, they knew about it. They would have to like try and rescue their mother. Okay. Gotcha. And then when Melinda was nine years old, Larry had Marjorie. So the father had the wife, the mother mm-hmm. gang raped. And after that, she was so traumatized. She tried to drown herself and her kids had to help her. After that incident, she refused to have sex with him for a month. So he raped her as their daughters overheard it through a closed door from the next room, like Melinda and her siblings. Mm-hmm. In the summer, there was a lot of other things. I am doing the faster version of these. I will state, I'm going to stay state the following. Larry is a monster, Mm -hmm. but that does not excuse Melinda from being a monster. But also Marjorie did not take care of her kids. But I do think it is partially because of fear. Right. So, right. In the summer of 1986, she wouldn't let him go with two women that he had just met at a bar. So Larry beat Marjorie so severely that she ended up going to the hospital. He was convicted of battery. However, the extent of Larry's abuse to his daughters and other children is unclear whether he actually beat them. There was various court testimonies claiming he fondled Melinda as an infant and it continued as she grew up. Melinda didn't admit that this ever happened to her. She actually kind of she almost denied it, but she wasn't like steadfast in her denying it. But she she definitely did not agree that that ever happened to her. Okay. Uh, It was noted that she slept in a bed with him until she was 14 years old, though. And that's when he abandoned the family. Mm. So interesting. In court, a family member described the incident uh, there that there was an incident in which Larry tied the three sisters in a garage, he tied them up and then raped them in succession. However, the sisters did not confirm this account. And I could not figure out if those sisters, the three girls, if that's Melinda and two sisters, or if it was three sisters of Melinda, I couldn't find a ton of information on that incident. Now, side note to that, uh, in November of 1990, 
Larry was caught spying on Melinda and one of her friends. Hmm. So, um, I don't know if I put it later in or if I put it in the beginning, but I will say, uh, Larry does go to jail. Larry goes to prison. So that's one happy moment that you get there. You said he was convicted of battery, but you didn't say anything specific. No, no. He goes back to prison. Okay, good. I don't remember if I mention it later, but I, I think I might mention it in the very end as like a yay. One good slight. No, is this terrible human is put away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next up, Lori Tackett. So Lori Tackett's real name is Mary Loreen Tackett. She goes by Lori because Loreen, Lori. Okay. Mm-hmm. She claimed that she was molested at least twice, once at five and once at 12. In May of 1989, her mother discovered that Tackett was changing from a dress into jeans at school. And they had a confrontation that night. Child services had to interfere because her mother attempted to strangle her. They were devout Pentecostals. And so this was a big deal. Okay. Which I found something out this weekend. Uh, I went to Cedar Point this weekend with my significant other. And we were there and we saw some Pentecostal youths there. And to be able to ride the roller coasters and stuff, they were allowed to put their hair in braids and they were allowed to like pin it up and everything, which I mean, you can do that with your hair. That wasn't the weird. uh, It wasn't even weird, but that wasn't the thing I was noting. Uh, They were allowed to wear leggings under their skirts. They still had to wear skirts, but they were allowed to wear leggings under the skirt so they could go on the uh, roller coasters and rides comfortably. Mm -hmm. My one of my friends, one of my work friends, my work mom. She wears um, scrub skirts and she wears leggings with them. Yeah, Yeah. I didn't know that. We um, I think it also depends on how the vibe of your strength. Yeah. Um, We had a Pentecostal family in my elementary school. And I remember she decided to disobey her mom for the ninth grade school dance. And she secretly snuck a denim mini skirt to the homecoming school dance from like one of her friends and she changed at this in the school bathroom to a denim mini skirt and then um someone took a picture and it was going to go on myspace and she edited the picture using paint on the computer to try to lengthen her skirt so her mother would not see it good times all everything i just said is the most 90s literally so- <laughs> oh god <laughs> sounded so 90s and it was held in our school cafeteria right <laughs> okay now lori began to engage in self-harming activities especially in early 1991 which is around the time when this happened um because she began dating a girl who was involved in self-harming herself so she started doing it so Lori is also on the, um, I almost said the spectrum, I'm sorry, on the um, Alphabet Mafia also. Right. So I don't know if that plays a part into her and Melinda's friendship. Maybe that's why they were so close and they were willing to do this is because she's like, oh, I understand the struggles of dating and being gay and being young and all this. I can handle, you know, feeling these emotions yeah. also. Yeah. I don't know. little speculation there, but I think it could play. Now, her parents discovered the self-mutilation. They checked her into a hospital of March 19th, 1991. She was prescribed an antidepressant, but then released. Okay. That sounds exactly like the Jason Sweeney part. Yeah. Okay. So two days later, with her girlfriend and Tony, Lori was found. So Tony was not her girlfriend. Tony's the friend, remember? So her girlfriend, who I don't have a name for, and Tony were hanging out with Lori. 
and Lori cut her wrists so deeply that she had to be returned to the hospital. She was treated for her wounds and she was admitted to the hospital psychiatric ward. She was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and confessed that she was experiencing hallucinations since she was a young child, but then she was released also. And this was, you know, not, not long after all this. Hope Rippy, there's a little bit harder information to figure out about, which is weird because she's the one that speaks out the most, but she speaks out more about her like thoughts about the whole thing and things like that, not her younger life. Mm-hmm. She was supposedly self-harming at age 15 and she had a, a troubled background. Moving on to the next one, Tony, Tony Lawrence. Tony was abused by a relative at age nine. She was raped by a teenage boy at age 14. And the police issued an order for the boy to keep away from her. But that was it. I mean, they still remained in school together and everything else. So it wasn't like a restraining order. It was just like, hey, stay away from her type of thing. So she went to counseling after the incident, but she didn't end up following through and keeping up with it. She began to self-harm and she attempted suicide in eighth grade. Jesus. So we're all tragic stories, but not an excuse. (laughs) Not an excuse. So with all these backstories, the four girls we're trying to go with more of like a plea of we're troubled. That's why we did this bad thing. But, you know, everyone else was like, no, try them as adults. So they were tried as adults. Lawyers say that they were trying to have Tony and Hope be called light participants to get their sentences taken down. Okay. So that's what I said. The backseat theory here. Mm-hmm. So they said, you know, they were just light participants because of how they describe it. They describe it as more of, we got there. We realized the severity of it, but we were scared that she would do the same things to us. That whole good old tale as old as time thing. Right. Now, what happened to these girls? You're wondering. Hope was sentenced to 60 years and then 10 years suspended for mitigating circumstances. So that could drop it to 50 years, right? But part of this deal was 10 years of medium supervised probation. On an appeal, a judge reduced her sentence to 35 years with parole. So Hope ended up being released instead on April 28th, 2006, after serving for only 14 years. She did remain on a supervised parole for five years until April 2011, but then she's a free person. Hope was the one that remained in the car at first and then came and held her down and then participated in the burning, remember, poured the gasoline. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what happened to Hope. Next up, Tony. Tony was allowed to plead guilty to one count of criminal confinement and was sentenced to a maximum of 20 years because she's the one that stayed in the car for everything. But also she never went and got help. She also participated in the jokes. I got I don't have good feelings towards Tony. still. right. Tony was released on December 14th, 2000, after serving nine years, and she remained on parole until December 2002. Now, while I'm going through and doing these real quick, there's something I need you, the listener, to do me a favor as. And there's something I need you, Kylie, the participant here, to do me a favor of. Get on that phone. (laughs) Open up that Google or that Firefox, that Firefox, whatever you use. This really is the 90s. (laughs) I don't know what you're using. AOL, Messenger, something. Look up the Shandashir mugshots of these girls you can probably just type in shanna share mugshots so you're looking at four mugshots and Mm -hmm. i want you to see the audacity that two of these girls have in this photo and you'll know instantly what i'm saying when i say this 
because two of the girls decide to pose in a very specific way. Mm -hmm. They smile for this mugshot. Right. Do you see that? Yeah. You're trying to tell me these girls feel sorry for the crimes they did and should be released while they are smiling for their mugshots after brutally raping, sodomizing, torturing, and murdering a young girl that was 12 years old for over seven hours. And they're free people. All right, let's keep going. Lori and Melinda were sentenced to 60 years. That's it. Only 60 years for this crime. In an Indiana women's prison in Indianapolis. Lori was released in 2018, though, after serving only 26 years. She then served probation for one year. Lori was released from the Rockville Correctional Facility on January 11th, 2018, on the 26th anniversary of Shanda Shearer's death. So. Wow. Yeah. So 26 years and one year parole on the anniversary. The devastating moment that had to be for Shanda's family. Now, Melinda, we still got to talk about her, right? Remember during Melinda's sentencing, we talked about her family dynamic and they kind of really went all in for hers. So they tore her family apart, her whole family dynamic, everything. And they actually proved that a lot of the allegations against Larry were actually true. They couldn't prove all of them because remember, some of them were denied or they didn't say anything, but they Mm -hmm. proved that a lot of them were true. So he was arrested in February 1993 on charges of rape, sodomy, and sexual battery. Now, most of his crimes occurred from 1968 to 1977. So they were really hoping that um, the statute of limitations wouldn't be an issue here for some of these. So Larry remained in prison for over two years awaiting his trial. Good. Just sitting in limbo. Mm -hmm. However, a judge eventually did rule that the charges all except one count of sexual battery would be dropped due to the statute of limitations. But that sexual battery charge did have a minimum five years in Indiana and he got it. In October, that's that's Larry's little side note, but Mm -hmm. I I do. um, I don't know if I say where he is nowadays, but. um, I I don't remember if he's still in prison, but he did at least go for some time. But I, I, I think he's out now. I'm sorry. I forgot to follow up on that because he's not the focal point here. Yeah, he's just a piece of shit that happens to be on this shit sandwich. (laughs) Right. Literally, (laughs) because this is not getting any better. So in October 2007, Melinda's attorney requested a hearing to argue that due to childhood abuse, she was deemed profoundly retarded, as they claimed. And because of that, she was unable to control her actions. Her attorney argued that Melinda, who was only 16 years old when she signed the plea agreement, was too young to enter into a contract in that state of Indiana without consent from a parent or guardian, which had not been obtained, actually. And it took over almost a year, but on January 8th, 2008, Melinda's request was rejected. Good. Good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what? (laughs) All right. True crime moment. Whose famous birthday was January 8th? It's a famous serial killer. I don't know. Yep. Right there. The freeway killer, uh, William George Bonin. January 8th. (laughs) Sorry about that. Okay, now, 
I wish I could say this has any sort like this is a series of unfortunate events at this point. It just keeps getting worse every time I want to say something happier. It doesn't. They gave Melinda a parole in 15 years. So on November 14th, 2008, she was up for parole. But good news, it was denied. Okay. Also good. But then she was released from prison. Okay. In 2019. So Melinda was released from the Indiana Women's State Prison in Indianapolis on September 5th, 2019, after only serving 26 years. It's like, welcome to the real world. Okay, welcome to COVID. (laughs) That and also welcome to a whole different world. Literally. You are now a grown ass adult and we have the Internet. Like she knows nothing and it's COVID. That and she didn't ter- even finish school. No. Unless she didn't. Yeah, whatever. in prison. She probably did. But so she started serving parole in Jefferson County of Kentucky. Now, I want to talk about some of the other people that this tragedy affected, like Shanda's family. Shanda's father, Stephen, the one that she left the house that night, he blamed himself a lot. I'm he sure. really did. Yeah. He ended up dying in 2005 at the age of 53 due to alcohol poisoning. Mm. In an interview with uh, Jacqueline Jackie, um, which is Shanda's mother, uh, Jackie Vaught, it was on ID, so Investigation Discovery. It was the series Deadly Women. Jackie states that Stephen was so upset about letting his daughter leave that night or like her sneaking out that he blamed himself. And she said, quote, he did everything he could to kill himself besides putting a gun to his head. She later says he drank himself to death. The man definitely died from a broken heart. No, that's sad. That's really, really. Yeah. Miserably sad. So the Shanda Share, the Shanda Share Scholarship Fund. Ooh, that was a tough one. Mm-hmm. Was established in January 2009. The fund planned to provide scholarships to two students per year to the Prosser School of Technology in New Albany. Sadly, though, by November of 2018, Shanda's mother stated that the scholarship funds had actually been depleted and they no longer could accept donations um, or even they, they, they just kind of, you know, it's probably hard on them also. They weren't doing it anymore. Yeah. Cause you also have to remember that's also bringing it back up. Every yeah. Year it's and, hard to keep it up and think about how these kids are doing something. Your kid will never got the chance to, and you're not having to watch them be so happy and you can't have that. Right. In 2012, Jackie made contact with Melinda for the first time since the trials. So the mom started to reach out to Melinda. Mm-hmm. Jackie donated a dog named Angel in Shanda's name to Melinda. Okay. Because Melinda was training animals for the Indiana Canine Assistance Network program called ICANN. It's done through a project called Project to Heal, and it provides service pets to people with disabilities. So while in prison, Melinda had been training dogs for this program for several years and Jackie donated a dog in Shanna's name to Melinda. Okay. Jackie reported that she had endured so much criticism over this decision, but defended it by saying, it's my choice to make. She was my child. If you don't let good things come from bad things, nothing gets better. And I know my child. I know what my child would want. My child would want this. Then Hope and Tony and Lori, they're out. They're living their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So they start to go on talk shows and stuff, specifically like Dr. Phil. Mm, Of course. In interviews with Dr. Phil after the release, Hope explains how she felt forced into pouring pouring the gasoline. And she really did think they were just going to bully the girl that night. 
Tony said she was afraid of Melinda and Lori, so she felt like she couldn't stop or tell them no. And that they were just, you know, backseat accomplices to this whole event. And they were just too scared to stand up for what was the right thing. Mm. And uh, after that, you just have to remember how truly devastating of a crime this whole thing was all over nothing. And then also, I didn't really talk about her, but Amanda also has to live with all this, too. Yeah, it ruined her life and ideas and thoughts and goals and everything probably probably disgusted her that she was with melinda and sad that she lost is dead and yeah so it's just like a whole whirlwind of weird emotions for someone that age and i think about it like i don't know if you our school um i went to a school i mean you went to a school we all went to schools okay (laughs) i'm not getting anywhere right now you're doing great um (laughs) this is just such a rough case i'm like emotionally drained right now from yeah. thinking about it and talking about it it's a really rough case um i've i will say i've only had two cases that i've ever listened to that have made me cry and this is one of those two um the other one was i listened to someone do an episode on the sandy hook school shooting the mm-hmm. elementary school mm-hmm. and the people talking started crying and they were trying to talk through their crying and i started bawling my eyes out and I was at work and it was very traumatic <laughs> and all my coworkers were like are you okay I was like yeah I'm listening to a podcast it's fine yeah I'm fine it's yeah, fine I'm fine it's um fine. but no when I was in school there was this there's this like joke about the school I went to one of the first high schools I went to that the school is rumored to be cursed because every single year one student dies from a grade and it has happened for over like 20 years mm-hmm. every single year So um, when I was a freshman, one of my friends who was a senior passed away. And I remember how awful it was because they didn't let his locker get used the rest of the year, like out of respect. But like they didn't allow his locker to be used. And due to that, there was flowers, there was signs, there was a picture of him at his locker. People would, you know, pass it. Then at graduation, they did a uh, a graduation thing for him. Yeah. Yeah. And they like gave a. Um. Oh, what do you get when you graduate? Diploma. They gave a diploma to his parents and they talked about like what his dream college would have been, stuff like that. Yeah. That was so, so, so difficult. Right. And like the year before that, when I was in eighth grade, the girl that passed away, it was so, so tragic because I was hanging out with some of my friends and we went and saw her. And I was hanging out with her little sister. We all went back to my other friend's house. We stayed there for two nights on that second night. She was walking alone at nighttime and she got hit by a car and died. That's insane. And her little sister was still with us hanging out. So she had to get called to come home because her parents were like, something happened. We need to talk to you in person. And then, you know, we all find out. And again, it was so hard because... We all had to see the we're town just like right like there talking about it, yeah. seeing it. So imagine how Amanda would feel because I'm sure there's stuff, even though Shanda transferred from that school, there's going to be things around this town. It's a small town. There's mm-hmm. going to be things at the school. She did sports. I'm sure the sports things had a moment of silence. She did basketball. She did cheerleading. She did all these things. Right. And she was so young. There was probably a page dedicated to her in the yearbook, like, you can't just get over that. You can't escape it. And also, this is a podcast thing that people talk about even these days. She has to hear about it again still, I'm sure. Yeah. 
And it's one of those things I'm sure people always asked her about in high school, because in high school, you don't fully gather how severe the things you're talking about are sometimes. So, you know, or people, you don't understand. And then you just get way too deep into the, like the questioning. And yeah. you're like, oh, shit. You're this like, are you me. that girl that's girlfriend died? Right. Your exactly. Got killed? Oh, my God. Your girlfriend murdered your ex-girlfriend. That's crazy. Right. You just it's destroys you as a person. Yeah. So. And like again, I'm running she, away crying because you're asking me this stupid question. So stupid. Um, all and they're they're kids, mm-hmm. and now they're adults and they're out in the world, all of them. And that's just wild to believe. This does not make sense. I get it; people can be rehabilitated and stuff, but I I don't know. This one is a truly heinous crime. And that's how I felt about J- Jason Sweeney's yeah murders murderers. They're just even I mean, worse because they were like, no, I'm not guilty. Like, I mean, we've we've done the rare thing in podcast. I mean, um, that makes me sound like we're tooting our own horn, but I guess in true crime, I feel like it's rare. So I will say, in my opinion, we've done a rare thing. We have personally done a case where we believe a person was rehabilitated mm-hmm. and we talked about how a murderer became a normal civilized person in society again. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a guest with us. We did this case. It was the still definitely had his demons. Yeah. Yeah. It was the Michael Allen case, the murder of Angel Melendez. And that was the first time we started to look into if someone really could be rehabilitated. And we thought, you know, like there are cases that can. And we thought we had found one that we mm-hmm. wanted to talk about and take that different opinion on. But when I hear the difference between that case and then I hear this case. And the different how Michael was versus someone like Melinda. Like, no, it's, it's just just it's night and day. It's very very different so oh okay okay uh so we're done because i just yeah my, we're done my my tears are ready to free flow <laughs> right <laughs> so that was um the shanna Sharer case and that takes place in our neck of the woods so i figured i should mm. let kylie know about that one sorry continue to have a good tuesday <laughs> yeah i'm so sorry i hope your tuesday's good Hope you guys are really excited for spooky season. We are. Anyone doing anything special? Definitely excited for spooky season. Anyone want to talk about Halloween costumes? Tell us. We'll talk to you about them. We'll post photos of ours once we do them. We're not doing them now, obviously. But yeah, yeah. we're going to do some couples costumes. Not the couple, me and Kylie. Oh, me and Kylie should do a couple's costume. Oh, we should. Oh, my God. I have a really good idea, though. Okay. I can't say it. No, it's a secret. (laughs) I forgot. Yeah. Because we're a couple of sisters. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So for tonight's sources, I use a lot of documentaries because that is what there is mostly about this case. There's a lot of news articles, but they are kind of short and you have to piece together a lot of them. I did use a lot of them, but the documentaries have so much information about this case. Um, The Deadly Women. uh, It's called Thrill Killers is the episode. It's season one, episode one. Then there's a documentary called The 1990s, The Deadliest Decade. They, they do other decades, too. But um, this episode is called The New Girl. It's season one, episode two. Then there's a documentary, um, The Cold Case. It's called The Episode The Sleepover, season two, episode six. Then there's a documentary called Killer Kids, The Lifetime Series. And this episode's called Jealousy, season three, episode 14. Then also I watched the whole like documentary article thing that Dr. Phil did. 
It's called In Cold Blood. It's two part series. And the girls are featured on it after being released. And they they physically talk themselves about the incident that night, how they feel, how they felt in prison, how things have changed their lives. Um, it's just a good one to watch if you want like a, a good follow up. It doesn't bring you any peace of mind. Don't go into it thinking like you'll right. feel better. It just solidifies how much you hate everyone and everything always all the time. Everywhere all at once. Yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I used that today at work. That's funny. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just a lot. Whew. It is a lot. Yes. All right. So, Kylie, how do you feel about this case? I don't know. It's it's insane. That was a doozy, right? I could not. I just can't even like think about being that that young and being that hateful towards the world, towards or anyone, a person, anything. Yeah. How angry I I was angry. I did some angry things. I angsty teens, but normal angsty thing. Oh teen my things. God, nothing like this. Yeah. Nothing. So. Well, thank you to all of you that listen or that help make this podcast what it is. We love each and every one of you, all of our listeners, all of our supporters, everything. We recently got the chance to be part of a really cool experience. Um, there is a true crime. Um, like networking, like little thing where a bunch of true crime podcasters and like conspiracy podcasters and all these paranormals and crazy things happening. And we got added to it. And it's this really amazing um, community. It really is because like yeah. you get to all know how you feel about this thing. Like we're all so passionate about getting crime solved and like talked about and noticed and having these things not happen anymore. Essentially, we all want to be put out of our little side jobs because right. we don't want to have to talk about these crimes anymore. We're like begging. Right. So thank you to all of you guys. Kylie and I could never do all this alone without the support. Thank you also to Damon Vakovsky for creating our sound bits and theme song. Our original artwork by Taylor with Lab Monkey Creative on Instagram. Our editing by Corey with core.media.photography on Instagram. Thank you guys to your kind words also for about having Corey on the podcast. Yay, Maybe Corey. we could do it again someday if Corey lets us. And that man's voice, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of love him, but still. He was very He proud has a of, very nice voice. He was so proud that his setup of the Discord calls and everything worked so nicely. Yeah. He, before you came in here, he was tooting his own horn. He's like, you know, that that episode sounded really good, actually. I, it, was, <laughs> it was a pretty good done episode. <laughs> like, you are like, right. You are right. So, yeah, no, I was kind of worried about it. Honestly, it was kind of it's kind of just rigged together. And I was like, we right. really we really just uh, threw bad, shit it's... at the wall and hoped it stuck. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't even sound like he was in a, a different room than us, which no. is crazy, which that's our, our previous episode for this, guys. It's the Kaiju lore and reptilian conspiracy con conspiracy theories with our guest slash editor, Corey. Yeah. That's the whole title. I no bet worries. you never thought that you would cover kaijus. <laughs> I never thought any of anything I just said would have been a thing. <laughs> right, literally. So thank you to you guys. Don't forget to follow the Instagram. It's at Cryptic Soup Pod, where DMs are always open for suggestions. So slide on in. Also, we are, like I said earlier, we're doing the Facebook thing. So get on that too yeah come find us hang i out mean they're us. all kind of like i i guess like 
is it Facebook that bought Instagram or Instagram bought Facebook? Uh, Facebook bought bought Instagram. So like the, now they're kind of like integrated, yeah, but not. They're they're they're, they're befriending. They're <laughs> right. They're like they're wanting to date, but they're still at that weird talking stage. <laughs> right. They left like you know like a hair clip at each other's house, but they're hair they clip. haven't fully like made the transition to leaving a toothbrush yet. Right. Yeah. I hate that it always asks me if I want to like. Let my friends on one be my friends on the other. Will you that and um like the profiles, the profile pictures and like I'm a oh, different. Yes. I post different things. Usually I post different things on Instagram than I do on Facebook. So it's just like, no. And see, I'm the opposite. <laughs> I want all of them to be uniform. Like my social media name on every single platform is the same. My bio is the same usually on all of them, except for right now my Facebook's different than everything else because everything else is about the driver error and how annoying I am. <laughs> um but like my Facebook one's funny about being in a podcast and wanting to pet your dogs. But um, my picture has to be the same on all of them. Like I have to have the same vibes across the board all the time. Otherwise, so then I'm you like, were happy oh. when they integrated and you were like, yes, click. Yes. I was like, you're doing you didn't one have to, thing good. Yeah. You didn't <laughs> have to have to do it yourself. That drives me insane, though. Thank you to anyone and everyone that leaves Apple podcast reviews and ratings and or Spotify ratings and or just tell us feedback it's great to hear we love hearing it it just helps us grow and feel like we're doing better all the time so remember to connect with us we want to hear from you and subscribe follow tune in keep up with us remember to join in on the conversation where we're going to see you next tuesday on the next episode stay tuned